Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You up and we praise you for who you are and what you've done for us. God, we thank you that you give us this opportunity to gather in your presence, to worship your name. Father, we thank you for our online family that's watching with us today. God, that collectively in the midst of smoke, pandemic, and anything else that would try to stop us from praising you, that we still praise your mighty name, God. We praise you for it. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You can be seated if you would, please. I'm so excited to be here this morning. Are you guys excited to be here this morning? Yeah, man. It's nice to be in the house of the Lord. I got a couple uh, announcements for you. Um, I want to remind you guys, and uh, if if you don't get my guys, if you don't get my text messages, let me know and I'll add you to the list. Um, first announcement is this, is that we were going to have a work party yesterday because of smoke. Uh, we decided to move it to next Saturday. It's not a guy's work party. It's a church work party. Um, and so if you can come next Saturday right across the street, we're trying to get that house ready uh, for someone from the church to move in. Um, it just needs some elbow grease, man. So, uh, like, don't... People are like, well, I don't know what I can do. If, uh, if you can do anything, you can come. Because we just need to clean it. We need to uh, tape it off because Casey's going to spray it inside and out bunch of yard work. So if you can just come and people say, well, I can't give up the whole day. Just come for an hour, man. Come and do that. Uh, cause we'd really appreciate your help. Uh, also we're going to be moving a, a lot more. Uh, yeah, Kyle, FYI, your mic is still on. I figured that out, Kyle. Thanks. Um, also if you are, if you have a smartphone and you have not downloaded the faith and victory app, I want to encourage you to do so. Moving forward, because of just a host of reasons, we're going to be putting a lot of our events and our announcements and what's going on on the app. It just seems to be like a much easier communication medium than texting and calling and Facebooking and trying to get all the information. So if you have a smartphone, download the FEC app because like yesterday was a perfect example. We probably had like half a dozen people call me and call Todd. And they're like, are we having service and smoke and all these other things? It would have been a whole lot easier for people to just, if we all can just be trained to say like, I'm just going to check the app because they're giving us updates because things change on a daily basis, right? So Saturday afternoon, you're like, let's see what the app's doing um, or Sunday morning or whatever because things are going to happen in the future uh, that we'll have to communicate and just be easier through the app for like snow and those types of things. Um, cause I'm sure it's going to snow this year. Cause why not? <laughs> right. It's probably gonna be the worst snow we've ever, it's gonna be flaming snow. It's uh, be the best snow you've ever seen. I don't know. I, at this point, anything could happen, right? And it just changes on a week to week basis. Um, I'm excited to be here though. Are you guys excited to be here this morning? Love being in the house of the Lord. Uh, we're going to preach from this Bible here. You guys ready? All right, let's pray for the message. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Father, as you have spoken by your word, Lord, we pray that you'd speak directly to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 
This is the last sermon in the book of 2 Samuel. I know. Can you believe it? It only took us like four and a half years to get through this thing. Um, I have already chosen what the next book will be. And you would like to watch or be here in person next week to find out what that is. This is a long book and we're going to be in it for a really long time. I'll give you a little hint. It rhymes with Remiticus. Uh, Yeah. Go through Leviticus. That'll show you guys. Could do numbers. Can you imagine? Can you imagine doing numbers? Oh, please give us Leviticus. Um, No, we're not doing, but come, come next week. It'll be good. Uh, Some of you that have been here for an extended amount of time might notice that this closely resembles a sermon that I preached five years ago from 2 Samuel 24, because it is. Uh, I preached that sermon because the Lord laid it on my heart, and then as I went to this, God was like, you want to preach it again. A a good sermon is worth being preached again. Uh, You sing a song twice, why not preach a sermon twice? Uh, Especially if it's good. If it's a bad song, only sing it once. Um, (laughs) All right, so 2 Samuel 24, follow along with me. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, Now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than they are. there are. And may the eyes of the Lord, the king, see it. But why does my Lord, the king, desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. And they crossed over the Jordan and camped in Aror, in the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad and toward the Jazer. And they came to Gilead, to the land of Tothim Hodshai. And they came to Danjan around a Sidon. They came to the stronghold of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And they went out to the south Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. Then David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done foolishly. And when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself so that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall I, or shall there be three days plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time from Dan to Beersheba. 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough, now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arunah, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arunah, the Jebusite. 
So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Arunah looked and saw the king and his servants coming down towards him. So Arunah went down and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Then Arunah said, why has the Lord, the king, come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Arunah said to David, let my Lord, the king, take up and offer whatever seems good to him. Look, here are oxen for burnt sacrifices and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All these things, O king, Arunah has given to the king. And Arunah said to the king, may the Lord God, the Lord your God accept you. And the king said to Arunah, but no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. So it's a great story. Um, I know I say that because they're all great stories. And let me give you the, uh, uh, the, the recap. It's, it's really quite a simple story that uh, took a few minutes to read. David decides to take a census of Israel. God doesn't like it. And so because God doesn't like it, David's going to be punished. And so they, they go to David and, and he goes to the prophet Gad and says, hey, God's mad. So you've got an, three options here. Uh, you can either go under a famine you can have your enemies attack you, or you can get plagues. Which one do you want? And that's like really good, right? Would you rather be poked in the eye, the ear, and the mouth, right? There are, it's all, none of them are good ideas. Uh, and so David says, you know what? I choose plagues. That's what I want. I want plagues. Give me plagues. And so then the plagues come, 70,000 people die, and then God relents and takes the plagues off of David. And so then David decides like, man, I was wrong. I caused 70,000 people to die. I got to make this thing right. So then he decides he wants to offer, an, offer a sacrifice to God. So he goes to this guy, Arunah, and says, hey, I want to, in Arunah's this place called the threshing floor, which is where atonement happened, payment for sin. And he goes to me, and says, hey, I want to do this thing, and I want to, I want to honor God. And so can I uh, buy these oxen from you? Can I make a sacrifice to God? And, and Arunah says, oh, no, no, you don't have to buy them. I'll just give them to you for free. Like, I'll give you free stuff, and you can sacrifice those to God. And David says, no, I don't. I don't want you to give me free stuff. I was wrong. I did wrong. I'm not going to offer to God that which cost me nothing. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to do that. So that's the, that's the story um, that we're walking with today. And so there's a few, few key verses that we're going to cover together. And the, and the one that just sticks out for me with this whole entire story is when David goes to Arunah and there's going to be an offering to God and, and Arunah says, you know what, I got some oxen and I've got some threshing instruments. Use mine for free. You don't need to pay me for them. But David says, you know what, I don't want the free road. I don't want things for free. I want, I want this thing to cost me. I'm not going to offer to God that which costs me nothing. I'm not going to do that. David had sinned. David had done wrong. David wanted to make it right. And in his mind, he says, you know what? If I'm going to offer something to God, it's going to be costly and it's not going to be free because God is worth more than my free stuff. 
Now, don't miss this here because we're going to be talking a lot about like sacrificial giving and, 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 and giving unto the Lord. But I don't want you to make this connection from this sermon of this idea that says, if I do something wrong before God, I've got to pay God back because that's not what this sermon is about. I don't want you to get this idea that says that salvation costs me because salvation costs you nothing. And so t- don't, don't take this sermon where it's not going. I want it to be very, very clear that the grace of God is utterly and completely free. It's free to be saved. It's free to be forgiven. There's nothing that you have to do to get the forgiveness of God except to turn to his forgiveness. Amen. Amen. I'm not going to make that connection at all because you, you know what it's like if, 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 you te- if someone tells you it's free and then it ends up costing you something, it was no longer free, yeah. right? Have you guys ever been duped like that before where a business would be like, oh, it's free. And then you find out it's not free. Happened to me this week. I won't, I won't tell you which place it was, but it rhymes with Larby's. And, uh, and, uh, uh. I was going through and, and uh, I like going to Arby's because I got this half pound beef sandwich. It's really, really good. It's only a half pound. I don't know why they don't go to three quarters or full. I mean, I don't know. Times are tough. And so I order my sandwich, no drink, no fries. And then the nice person goes, Hey, would you like a free slider for a dollar? All you have to do is donate a dollar to help feed hungry kids and you can have a free slider. How many would you like? And I was like, I already got this half pound sandwich coming, but they saw the picture of the slider. I'm like, I could probably fit in one more of those. You know what I mean? In my heart, I wanted to get three, but I only got one. And, and so I was like, yeah, I'll take a slider. Sounds good. Free slider for giving a buck, but all right, whatever. So then when I get up to the window, they give me my half pound sandwich and then they give me a coupon for a free slider. I'm like, where's my free slider? I got a coupon and it says, good on your next visit, limit one. This is not a free slider. I was on the phone with somebody from church and they said, go back around right now. Do your next visit. I'm like I should. If I didn't have somewhere to be, I'd just get into free sliders going in a circle all day long for a dollar. Your salvation is not a dollar coupon for a slider, okay? It's not. It's a funny story, but, but the, the illustration is that salvation doesn't cost you anything, okay? And so when we're talking costliness today and, and, and sacrificing to the Lord, please, please do not make a connection in your mind that says that somehow I'm telling you that salvation costs you something. It already cost Jesus enough. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Romans eleven six. And if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works, then it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Does that make sense? Grace of God is free. Salvation is free. You don't do anything to earn it. All you have to do is receive it. You just go and you receive God's grace. You have to believe it, but you have to receive it. And people say, well, isn't that cheap grace? I'm like, well, that's the nature of grace is that it's cheap. It costs Jesus a whole lot, uh, but it costs you nothing else except to receive it. Amen. So the the cool part of this story that I love is that uh, not that David is disobedient. That's not cool, but he's disobedient and he sins. And then he chooses the plagues. And honestly, I feel like this is the worst one, right? It's like David's prophetically saying, like, put me in 2020, like, give me pandemic and, 
you know, give me smoke and COVID and job loss. I want that, you know? Sheesh. He chooses the plagues. And, and the reason why he chooses the plagues, if you look at it, is he says, I would rather be connected to God's mercy than be at the hands of man. It's what he says. He says, I trust God's mercy more than I trust the hand of man coming after me. He says in verse 14, do not let me fall into the hands of man. Verse 16, and the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it. The Lord relented from destruction and said to the angel who is destroying the people, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. Watch this. Before David repented, before David offered the sacrifice, before David went to God, God relented and said, I'm going to show you mercy because it's God's nature and character to show mercy. It's who he is. He, he cannot not show mercy. Deuteronomy 4:31. for the Lord, your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to you. Deuteronomy 7, 9, therefore know that the Lord, your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. How many of you can testify and say that God has shown mercy to you? How many of you did not get what you deserved? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. That God is a merciful God. Lord, we thank you for your mercy today. We thank you for it. Psalm 25, 10, all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Those of us that are faithful to God always experience God's mercy. So David comes to God and he says, you know what, God, I have sinned. I've done wickedly, but these people, what have they done? Let your hand be against me and against my father's house. That's what David says. David says, you know what? God, I know that you've already shown mercy. You've already stopped the plagues, but God put it on me. Let it be on me because this is my fault. I did the census. I was disobedient. And now 70,000 people have died, God. But please, please let it be put on me. Destroy me for what I've done. Let it be against me and my wicked ways. Don't put it on others. Friends, that's a contrite heart. That's a heart that shows that he's been broken by his sin and wants to make it right with God. See, a a, a person that's truly repentive will always put the blame on themselves, not on somebody else. If you're trying to determine whether somebody is repentant or not, if they truly believe that, that what they've done is wrong, listen to the words that come out of their mouth. And anybody that comes to you and tries to ask for forgiveness for what they've done and then coyly put it back on you, they are not repentive at all. That's not repentance. Repentance is not, I'm sorry, but it's your fault. Repentance is not, well, you're a Christian. You're supposed to forgive me. That's not repentance. See, a person that's truly repentant would come to you and say, do you know what? I wouldn't even want to be in relationship with me if I were you. That's how deeply I know that I've wronged you. That's how horrible that I know what I've done is. I'm asking you to forgive me, but even if you don't want to forgive me, I would understand because what I've done is so heinous that I don't even deserve your forgiveness. It doesn't come in and say, you need to forgive me because the Bible says so. That's not the story. The story of the prodigal son is that he came in and he said, you know what? I was wrong. I just give me pig slop. If I can have pig slop, that's more than enough. I don't even deserve to be in my father's house. David says, I'll, I, I want the sin on me. 
70,000 people died because of what he did. Can you imagine if your sin killed 70,000 people? I hope that you would have a little bit of repentance in your heart. David loved Israel. David loved God. He didn't want any more calamity to come upon them at all. And, and it's, it's a foreshadowing of Christ in that, you know, uh, David is not Christ, but he, he's, he displays Christ's character many times through first and second Samuel. And that he says, you know what? Let the sin be put on me. It's like Jesus saying, they know not what they do, right? Jesus took the sin of humanity on them, even though the people didn't, they didn't deserve it. They, he took it nonetheless. Amen. So then David goes to offer sacrifice and the prophet Gad tells him, he said, erect an altar on the threshing floor. Cause in, uh, in this time it was a place for atonement. And then Arunah sells, uh, excuse me, tells David, I'll give you these oxen for you so that you can sacrifice. But David stops him right there. And he says, no, I do not want your free stuff. I want it to be costly. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. And I love the heart of David here. It's a heart that says, I want it to cost. And some people would say, well, why does it have to cost? And the truth is, is it doesn't. It doesn't have to cost. But this is a heart that wants to offer up a sacrifice. And if it doesn't cost, it's not a sacrifice. I mean, that, that's the nature of a sacrifice is a sacrifice is when it is something costly. If it's not costly, it's, it's not a sacrifice. There's a reason why it's called dirt cheap because it doesn't cost anything. People says, oh yeah, I can pick you up. It's on the way. It's not a problem. It's not costly. That's not a sacrifice. If they're like, dude, you live in the complete opposite direction of where I'm going. And then you drive that way to pick them up and then go, that's costly. That's a sacrifice. It doesn't cost you anything to drive by, slow down and let them jump in. (laughs) And so David's heart is, I do not want it to be free. I want this thing to cost me. I want it to be something that I can feel that I know. Uh, People throughout the years have donated stuff to the church, but often it's stuff that they don't need. I don't know why this is. Luckily, this doesn't happen anymore. But I remember way back when people, when, when flat screen TVs came out, everybody brought their tube TVs to the church. It was like children's ministry needs to grow. Here's my old tube TV. We just need three guys to move it, right? People bring their old waffle iron to the church when they bought a new one. People, people bring food that they won't eat themselves and want to donate it to the church. Like who's eating canned beets? Why did you buy them in the first place? You eat canned beets? Lord, I pray they be delivered right now in Jesus name. Them and anybody that likes pineapple on pizza, Lord, I pray that you deliver them right now in Jesus name. Deliver them, God, set them free. We've been getting rid of a bunch of stuff at our house yesterday. Uh, I had a bunch of stuff I was trying to take to the uh, Goodwill or Value Village, wherever you go. Every place was closed because of the smoke. And so my kids go, Dad, just take it to the church. (laughs) Of course, they were joking because, you know, they know how it is. Like, yeah, the church would love your old stuff. Church doesn't want your old stuff, man. No one wants your old stuff. (laughs) You don't want it. 
If it doesn't cost, it's not a sacrifice, man. The Apostle Paul taught the early church this grace of giving. He said in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, and 9, he said, But you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us. See that you abound in this grace also. I speak not as a commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Now, this is what I can say about Faith and Victory Church. We are a very giving, sacrificial church. And so it's a pleasure to be able to preach this sermon today and know that, like, this isn't a condemnation upon our church at all, but the word says what it says, right? And so if, if, if you're walking in this, you're just like, man, praise God. It should be a, a, an encouragement. And if you're not, it should be an encouragement. You're like, you know what? Why, why don't I live a, a costly, sacrificial giving life? Because uh, our church lives it out. They really do. I, I, I can say that we do. Um, gosh, God has been so faithful over the last six months of going through this. Um, that our church is, honestly, it's flourishing. The church is alive. The church is doing well. I mean, people people in our church are doing well in the midst of all this stuff. And it's because I believe that God's hand is upon our church because of people's generosity. It really is. And and I always have to, you know, I always have these disclaimers because people think I say things and I don't believe what it is. Any church that does that is experiencing this. We're not the only church in the world. I know churches locally, internationally, all over the nation that I've talked to their pastors like, man, our church is doing awesome right now. Yeah, because they're faithful to God and his word. They live it out. And so uh, God flourishes people that are planted in his courts. That's just how it is. Here's the other part of it too, is that um, Christ gave himself for us. How could we not be generous, right? I mean, Galatians 1, 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Titus 2, 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Uh, th- there's a reason why people say you can't outgive God. And the reason why you can't outgive God is because Christ already gave us enough on the cross. It's not in a monetary sense. Um, that's why like you can give a trillion dollars and it's not as valuable as what Christ did for us on the cross. Christ's gift ensured that we're going to heaven. We're not going to hell, that we're forgiven from our sins. You, so no matter what you give, when or what you sacrifice, it will never be as much as what God gave to us at all. But, but if it's, if you're, it, it, it's gotta be sacrificial. It has to. I mean, in, in Matthew chapter 12, it talks that Jesus commended the widow's gift, right? The widow's might, you guys know the story and people always want to use that as a justification to give God a penny, but that's not what that sermon's about. That, that's the sermon is she gave all she had. So give all you have, and then you can say you're like the widow. Don't say, I'm giving a penny because I'm going to be like the widow. Give everything that you absolutely have, and then God will commend you like the widow. Um, and, and, and so in that story, the, the, the word picture is, is that she loved Jesus so much that she wanted to give him everything that she had. Now, let me tell you guys a story. I, I, this is an old story from many years ago. I, I had a preacher friend who was uh, the associate pastor at the church. He wasn't the main pastor. And, and one day after he had preached a sermon, uh, an older lady came up to him and she wanted to give him a gift. She wanted to give him a monetary gift. Now, what's interesting about monetary gifts is that sometimes you give somebody a monetary gift, not because they need it, but because you just want to bless them, yeah. right? You want to give somebody a sacrificial, gl- a sacrificial gift. So 
This lady came up and this gentleman I know was here and the pastor was standing next to him. And, and this lady was of limited economic means. She was, you know, a, a pensioner and didn't have a lot of money. And so she came up to, gave the, to give this guy a gift and she gave him, she gave him $500. And she came up and this is back in the nineties, folks. This isn't like, you know, 2020, 500, like this is worth $500. Um, and so the, the, the preacher, she gave the 500, she said, oh, and he said, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want that gift. I don't want that gift. And she was like, no, no, I want you to have it. I want you to have this $500. And, and he demolished. She was like, I am not taking that money. You need the money more than I need the money. You just keep your money. I don't need it. And so then the lady kind of looked at the money and she just turned around and she walked away, just dejected. And the senior pastor said to the, said to the guy, he said, you know, man, do you know what you just did right now? You destroyed that lady by not receiving that gift. And some people say like, yeah, but she's, you know, she needs the money. It's not the point of the story. The point of the story is how, how long did it, I mean, maybe this, maybe this lady saved up $50 a month for 10 months just because she was touched by this man's preaching and, and, and she just wanted to show a sacrificial gift. And so how much did it take for her to save up, to give that $500, just be able to say like, I gave the associate $500. I just wanted to bless him and I wanted it to be sacrificial and I wanted it to cost. Cause that's really the heart of it. Right. And, and, and so there's a couple parts of that one is don't ever re- resist a gift that someone wants to give you. Cause you don't know the sacrifice they went to, to give you that. But also you got to realize is that like some people can write 500 checks, every $500 checks every single week, but some people can't. And so uh, giving 500, if it's not sacrificial is not the same as somebody that has to save up to give 50. It's just not. And, and, and hear my heart. It's not about money. I don't need your money. The church doesn't need your money. We talk about that all the time. The point is sacrifice. Amen. And again, I, I have to say it over and over because as soon as you start talking about money, uh, somebody, and probably somebody who's watching me online that you know doesn't have anything better to do than to sit around and critique me, um, and didn't didn't uh, <laughs> didn't show up till halfway through the sermon and be like, "See, he's all about the money, dude." God has been taking care of me long before I met you. I'm going to be just fine. Sacrifice of Jesus is more than enough for your salvation. You can go to heaven and never give God a dollar. I just don't know why you would. I just don't know why you would. He already earned enough on the cross, but he is our God and he's worthy of our fresh, of our first fruits. Amen. All right. So that's the intro. Let's get into the sermon. Here's the, here's the truth is that God has always wanted our best. We live in this day and age where we've got laundry machines and everything else. And we forget that we don't, uh, if you had to live and breathe and die based on your crops coming up and down every single year, you would probably offer your best to God because you needed that crop for the next year. But somehow you live a lifestyle that says, well, you can just get another job. So you don't trust God in the same way that these people did back in the Bible times. But the, but the old Testament uh, principle was that the first fruits belong to God. It wasn't that you were giving him what was yours. You were giving him what was his. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your possessions with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. God has always wanted the best ram, the choicest of the flock, the firstborn son. And it wasn't that he wanted them. It was that they belonged to him. Can you understand the difference there? People say, well, why does God always want, want my best stuff? God does not want your best stuff. Your best stuff belongs to God. 
It's not that he wants it. It's his. It, it already belongs to him. Uh, let, me, let me show you this scripture in, in Malachi that really um, illustrates this so perfectly. In Malachi chapter 1, Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. God, God rebukes the uh, priests of Israel because they were offering molded bread and lame and sick sheep upon the altar. That's really what the scripture is about. Because what had happened is, is that the, the, the priests of Israel had decided, well, maybe God isn't watching. And God says, give me your best sheep. And then they say, there's a blind one. Let's just give him that one. We're supposed to give him bread. Let's give him the moldy bread. Just turn it over on the other side. He can't see it. So Malachi 1, 6 and 8, a son honors his father. This is God speaking. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, what have we defiled you? By saying the, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is that not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Yeah. I mean, it's really, literally akin to uh, going to pay your taxes every year and then just be like, you know what, Jay, I'm sorry, I can't pay you. We went on vacation. I know I got to pay sales tax, gas tax, income, every tax known to tax tax. Don't even get me started. But there's no tax that you can get out of and tell them, sorry, I already spent the money. And that's what God says. God says, you want to try that with an earthly master and see what happens. How can you, how can you say that God doesn't deserve our first, our first fruits, that God doesn't desire our best? God said, you offered a blind, lame, sick sheep to me and you call that a sacrifice. It's literally like coming to, and dude, I'm about to preach. So watch. Now, if this is your best, then it's your best. But if it's not, you're being stingy. How are you going to bring a, an open bag of chips to a potluck and then take it home with you? Come on. I mean, sir, if that's where you're at, that's where you're at. But I've seen people that I'm like, that ain't where they're at. That's where their heart's at. Yeah. Bring it up. Open bag of chips to a. You can buy the Diana's tortilla chips for two bucks a bag. You know what I mean? You could have spared the gas, walked and brought a fresh bag of chips. And those chips are good too. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's second service, man. I start thinking about my lunch. You know what I mean? I didn't know where I'm going. All right. Not Arby's. <laughs> hey, leave the jokes up here. You know what I'm saying? Some said not Arby's. You know, it's, it's like a building, right? People will say things to me and they'll say, well, you know, a church doesn't need a building to worship God. And that's true. You don't need a library for books either. You don't need to go to the hospital to get health care. You don't have to have a house to sleep. You don't need any of those things, but all those things certainly do help. What's interesting is that you talk to any church anywhere in the world and you talk to them and they all want a building. They want a place to meet. They want a place to sanctify. They want a, a sanctuary, a place to, to worship God. We bought a building for a church in Nigeria. The, They're like, we need $1,500 to build our building. I'm like, let's go. Yeah. 
Because even in the middle of nowhere, these people still want walls and ceilings and benches to sit on to worship God. And there's nothing wrong with that to say we want to erect something for God to honor him, that people can come in and get to know him, that lives will be changed. Americans didn't invent the church building. It's been around for the last 2000 years. Do you remember when Jesus went into the synagogue to teach and pray? He never told them to stop meeting in the preset location in a present building. Jesus went to the buildings where they were meeting and never once said, this is wrong. Get out of buildings. He never said that. The early churches met in buildings. They met in the synagogue. I'll go off. I'm not going to do it anyway. But, but shouldn't we give God our best? Shouldn't we have costly mindset to be able to say, God, we want a place for you where you can be glorified, where people can gather in your name and where lives can be changed. I mean, in Haggai chapter one, verses three through eight, Uh, people were caring more about themselves than caring about God. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet saying, is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. If you have sown much and bring in little, you eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to be put into a bag with holes. And it's funny, people that don't give and don't tithe, they seem to always have money problems. And it's funny, the promise of scripture is that he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And so it's funny, you you can either give God a hundred dollars or whatever, your tithe, or the devourer will get that hundred dollars. Either way, you're not going to get it. It's just not going to happen. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. I, God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And so when we give our best to God, he will always bless it. And again, for those of you that are just tuning in, this is not me twisting the knife because we're behind. We're ahead. The church is alive. Things are flourishing. We're in the scriptures. This is what we're talking about. But if this is uh, something that's an encouragement to you, let it be one. Here's the other part of it is that lack of cost shows lack of faith. Lack of cost shows lack of faith. Now I'll tell you, my wife and I are very giving. And last year I told you guys some of our numbers of what we give percentage wise. We're above and beyond 10%. Like we get tithe and offerings and missions and building fund and all that other stuff. But like, I'm just being honest because I like to be honest because I was lying up to this point, but now I'm going to be honest. (laughs) Is it some, and I just know this in my own heart, is that oftentimes God will still tell me to give something of value. And in my mind, the first thing I think is, I need that money for this next thing, or I need that for this might happen. Does anybody else do this? The Lord will speak clearly and be like, do this. And you're just like, ugh, I don't want to do this because I could do this or anything else. But you know what that really is? That mindset is a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith to say that somehow that God isn't able to fit because either he's watching or he isn't, he's real or he isn't. And if he isn't, he's watching, he knows exactly what, what's going to happen. And so if, if you give something costly that you need and it is sacrificial, you have to have faith to know God is going to take care of me. Second Corinthians chapter eight, and that a great trial of affliction for the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in their riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing. The Corinthian church was admonished by Paul because they went beyond their ability. 
ability is here going beyond your ability. Like you can say like, well, this isn't costly and this is sacrificial. I can handle this, but this is sacrificial. This is costly. This is the place where it says, you know what? I don't even know how God's going to work it out, but you know what? God's watching. God's going to take care of it. And it's not just money. It's everything. It's like, we, we all don't have enough time, but you give someone your time and God magically gives you more time. We, we, you're, you give someone food and you need to eat yourself, or you give someone uh, your skills and you need to schedule yourself. You're friends with somebody when you need to friend yourself. And somehow God just seems to multiply it and over and over and over. Now, if, if your gift costs nothing, you're basically saying, I can't trust that God is going to take care of me. I need to take care of it myself. And I, and, and again, as, as sacrificial and crystal and I may be, I, I never feel like it's enough because God's already done so much for me already. But oftentimes God will tell me to give away something or give a number. And because of my evil, wicked heart, that's still beyond perfect. Gosh, he'll tell me a number or something to give. And I do, I don't tell crystal, not at all. <laughs> Keep that thing in my heart. And then somehow, like within like 36, 48 hours, Chris was like, you know what, honey, I was thinking. I'm like, dang it. She's like, hey, did the Lord tell you to give that? I'm like, no. She's like, and she'll say, you're lying. It's like, yes. And, 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 and then she's like, I thought we're supposed to give to this person. It's always the same person. And then, and then what's funny with the money is that, so I was like, I think it should be this amount. And when she, right before she says, I'm like, say this amount, say this amount. Cause I know what the real amount is, but I know what the amount that I want it to be that I feel more comfortable with. But then she's I was like, I think it's this amount. And it's always exactly the same amount that God gave me. Ugh, so frustrating. <laughs> and I share that with you guys, not listen, o- obedience can take 48 hours. Just because my wicked heart isn't immediately generous doesn't mean I'm not obedient and become generous. And I share that with you because probably there's more people in this room that have wicked hearts than there is about people that are like, yeah, I just love to give and I do it in the first 30 seconds. <laughs> you probably wrestle with it and then the Holy Spirit's got to use crystal to convince you as well. Amen. <laughs> but here's the thing though, is that when you are obedient, you're the answer to somebody else's blessing. You're the answer to somebody else's blessing. I mean, the Bible says that God will cause men to give into your bosom. That's what it says. And so when when you're waiting for someone to bless you, it's because God's trying to work on their wicked heart to get it to you. And so when you think like, oh my gosh, I'm the wicked heart. I'm the one that's, I'm the barrier to somebody else's blessing. And then you bless somebody with something like, oh my gosh, we were praying about this. We were asking God to send somebody why did it take you so long? <laughs> you know, instead of just being obedient, letting God do it. Amen. Amen. So does the Bible not say my God shall supply all your needs. Cause when you, when you give sacrificially, you reveal a genuine faith in the Lord's power to supply all your needs. I mean, we tell these stories to Sunday school. We just don't want to live them out. Abraham was willing to give his well-beloved son because he believed God. He was willing to kill his only son, his firstborn son. And God's like, hey, can you give away your best toaster? And you're like, well, I don't know if God's real. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, he hasn't asked for your best son. Can he, can he at least get your first fruits? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, many in the early church were so strong in their faith that they sold their possessions and goods and divided them with poor believers. 
Now, what's hard is that, and again, I can't, I can't tell you guys names because we just don't live in that type of society, but like we literally take care of orphans and widows, man. I mean, we take care of people. We, we take care of stuff because our church is so strong. No true gift of faith and sacrifice goes unnoticed by our God at all. Do you have enough faith for a costly gift, a willingness to be stretched out in your faith? Because the truth is that there's no cost. There's no love. David says, I'm not going to offer that which cost me nothing because he loved God. I mean, he wrote Psalm after Psalm saying how much he loved God. And so when it came time for the sacrifice, he said, you know what? I'm not going to offer that which cost me nothing. And so people right away say, well, how dare you question my love for God? I'm I'm not questioning your love. I'm saying what David did showed this type of love. And people say, you know, well, you know, handmade gifts mean the most. And sure, they do. If it took you many hours to make, like, oh, Lita, you made me that quilt years ago. Man, I love that quilt. Every time I look at it, I, I, I just, man, I, it saved me so many cold at night because Crystal's a heat locker. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm underneath that quilt. And I, I, I like, and I, not soon, but one day your you're, statistics say you're going to be with Jesus before I am, okay? But I... <laughs> but I will remember you and love that blanket. I will cherish that. God willing, I'll give it to my grandkids and I will tell them about the sacrifice that you made making me that quilt. That's great. But if I make my wife breakfast in bed and I buy myself a new exhaust for my car, that's not sacrificial. I don't tell my, hey, made you some coffee and toast. Whoa. But I sure took care of me. It's not at all costly as I have money to buy an exhaust for myself, but I want to bless my wife instead because I love her. Amen. Your time and your resources are going somewhere. And the question is who or what are getting them? And again, if you're walking this out, be encouraged. And if not, be reminded, you know, I, 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 up before COVID, I'd go in hospitals a lot for hospital visits. And what's funny, if you go into a hospital, there's always a donor wall. And what's funny is all these people donate to hospitals because the hospitals save their family members and they don't even need scriptures to coerce them. They just say, this place was filled with people that saved my family. I should do something for them to sacrifice for them. And then you get in the church and all of a sudden, a bunch of tightwad Christians and you've got to use a hundred scriptures and go through a discourse and write a book about it. Just be like, and people, oh, it's Old Testament and God doesn't whatever. I want to come and sit on the comfy seats and get the AC and have all the other stuff. But I don't believe in that stuff. That's Old Testament. Why are Christians so stingy? They're so stingy, man. It's just, it's disgusting. And then, then they, well, I don't know what so-and-so is doing with my money. You still pay taxes. You know what I mean? You know what they're doing. When you give to God, the person that then controls the money is going to answer to God. And I will tell you, man, the pucker factor when you are in charge of God's money is something that you would not believe. I've had more sleepless nights with knots in my stomach about being held accountable for what goes on inside of this church than many of you will never experience. Those people don't have to be convinced with scripture though, or to volunteer to give. You don't have to, you don't even have to use scripture to get someone to volunteer for a softball team or at their kids' schools. They just do it because they care about their kids' education. They do it because they care about the hospital. They volunteer at the library or the VA or whatever because it's real. In church, you've got to have a whole entire sermon about serving and guilt somebody into giving an hour a month in the children's ministry. 
Why is that, man? Gosh. (sighs) While true love considers no labor, no cost, no sacrifice too great, Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed unto him but a few days for the love that he had for her. True love is always open-hearted and open-handed. And when love is missing, when love is missing, what people give is considered an investment. It's give to get. Oh, I'm going to do this for my wife because then she'll do this for me. I'm going to do this for the church and then they're going to do this for me or it's a loss. Dude, I don't even know how much money I have given to the church over the last 30 years. I don't care. I gave it to God. I don't care at all. I'm clearly eating well. It's fine. I can also, I also can't tell you how much it costs to raise my kids. I can tell you how much it cost me this week. <laughs> Little leeches. <laughs> Suck you dry. Can we get some Jimmy John's? It's always Jimmy John's. and always cost me 20 bucks, man. You know, when I was a kid, <laughs> I had a McDonald's with $2 and have a feast. But I'll keep record of it, man, because I love my kids. I don't know how much it costs to have a family because I love having a family. It's just, it's just what it is. So if you're keeping a record of it, keeping score, that's not true love. Here, here's the last part of it. Let's round the corner. Then we can go eat. Cheap gift, cheap majesty. See, a, a gift that costs nothing displays a lack of the majesty and the respect for God. And, 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 and I've preached against this many times. I really don't like the idea of a buddy Jesus. I just don't, man. God is worth far more respect to me. I, I, don't, I don't think that when you're getting to heaven, you're going to be giving Jesus high fives. I just don't, man. I, I, I think that when you get to heaven, you're going to fall prostrate on your face. You're going to worship him and, and, and just be so excited to be able to be in his presence. You are not going to be giving him high fives and fist bumps talking about the good old days. It's just not going to happen. Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I mean, I I love here at the church, our bathrooms here are granite, granite bathrooms and tile. It's nicer than my own house. Same with the kitchen. And I'm glad, I'm glad that my church has a better kitchen and bathroom than my house. I like it because it shows majesty for the Lord. We've got like our cleaning teams come in here and they clean this church with a heart for God. And our landscaping looks to come see my dead lawn. Like, but our, the, the house of the Lord's got a great green lush lawn, you know, because God's worth our majesty. It's worth people to drive by and think like, I don't know what those people are doing, but they've got, they must have some sort of respect for the things of God because the quality and value of our gifts depend largely on the esteem and respect we have for the recipient. You know, many of you do not know the level of care that my wife gives me. She takes such good care of me. She just does, man. And I'm not going to tell you because I don't want it to stop. But um, (laughs) we've joked before, um, if something ever happened to Crystal and I had to get a a wife, and I've already told her, I I told Crystal, I said, I'll tell her that I love her, but I don't. I just, (laughs) no. But I I guarantee you, (laughs) that poor woman... If that ever happened, she would be, she, I'll be, I'll be like, oh, can you do this? She's like, she did that for you for how many years? Yeah, man. Someone will be like, there's no way you've got to be lying. 
I mean, and, and I'll just give you an example, okay? And, and if, judge me if you want. You should have married someone else. Um, you know, up until the last couple of years, because I bought a uh, smoker, so I learned how to smoke meat over the last couple of years. It's been quite therapeutic. Uh, but the first probably 20 years of our marriage, I honestly, except for waffles and pizza with the pastor, I probably have cooked dinner like half a dozen times in the first 20 years of our marriage. And she's like, man, well, that ain't fair. It was to me. Amen. Um, but here's the, and, and the story of that isn't that my wife takes good care of me. The, the, the story is, is that in those 20 years, and I mean it, I mean it with everything inside of me. Crystal has never said, how come you never make dinner? I make dinner all the time and you never make dinner. Why? Because she loves me. She loves to feed me. <laughs> she just loves to feed me. She's a feeder, man. She just is. But she doesn't feed me out of obligation. She doesn't do it because she's trying to prove anything to anybody. It's because she loves me. And so because she does it out of love, and and conversely, there's things that I do for her that I never say, like, you've never done this. Why? Because I don't do it because I'm trying to get it back. I do it because in our marriage relationship, we have different ways that we show love towards each other. Amen? And I just love my wife. Amen? Even with morning breath. Hallelujah. If we truly love God, we will truly give him our best out of respect for who he is, right? Just because we love him. So don't cut corners even when you can. And and this is the end of it, is that David said, I want to offer up that which uh, costs me. I don't want to offer that which costs me nothing. And so we don't want to cut corners. Um, and, and my encouragement to you today as you leave is, is just think about your life. And if, and if you're living it out, live it out. But I feel like I'm living it out, but I know there's areas in my heart where God's just kind of like, maybe a, little, maybe a little bit more sacrifice from your heart. Um, and, and it may not even be money. It might just be time or resources or anything else. Let's not be a people. Let's not be a church that offers up that which costs us nothing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, we'd like to give you an opportunity to become one. And it's really quite easy. Either you're a Christian or you're not. Either you've given your heart to Jesus or you haven't. If you're watching online and you've never given your life to Jesus, I'd like to give you an opportunity to be able to do that as well. It's quite easy. It's free. Like I said, all you have to do is turn towards Jesus and say, forgive me of my sins. Say, I want to live for you. He will forgive you. He will set you free. If you've never made that decision before and you'd like to do that for the very first time, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to become a Christian. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the first time? Hand held high. If you're at home today or somewhere else watching online, I encourage you to lift your hands to the heavens and say, Lord, forgive me my sins. And he will. Don't go back to those sins. Start living for Jesus. Start reading your Bible. Find a church that preaches it. Father, we pray that this sermon would go down into our hearts, God, that we would remind ourselves to be costly. Not because we have to, but because we should, because of what you've done for us, God. Lord, let us never be people that offers that up to you, which costs us nothing. Father, go with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to thank you guys so much for watching online. Uh, I want to thank you guys again for coming. Remember, uh, we're going to do the uh, cleanup next week. Um, and then, uh, yeah, man. Oh, and I already told you about the app, right? Download the app. Everything's on the app. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Hey, 